हेलो फ्रेंड्स एंड वेलकम यू आर विद दीपक आर खेमानी एंड वी आर इन द पॉडकास्ट माय मनी टॉक्स एंड टुडे वी हैव विथ अस द सीईओ ऑफ मोतीलाल ओसवाल एएमसी आशीष सोमाया सो ही इज वन ऑफ द यंगेस्ट एंड डायनेमिक सीईओज अराउंड इजीली अप्रोचेबल ऑलवेज देयर ऑन ट्विटर एंड आंसरिंग क्वेरीज ऑफ एडवाइजर्स एंड इन्वेस्टर्स अलाइक थैंक यू आशीष फॉर बीइंग ऑन माय शो वेलकम एंड लेट्स स्टार्ट thank you thank you for having me yeah so my first question is this which is there on everybody's mind as to what is happening in the debt markets so i think that you know uh, it's a bit of a long story as far as fixed income specifically is concerned um reason being that uh, if you see since 2016 uh, when demonetization was announced we had a sustained era of very very low interest rates and very very high liquidity and typically when interest rates are low liquidity is high and along with that you have this asset quality review and banking system having their own problems basically a lot of credit creation moved into uh, the capital market entities which are basically mutual funds and nbfcs things were going absolutely smooth up until 2018 when ilfs defaulted i think that kind of set the cat amongst the pigeons and from that point onwards uh, has been uh, on and off a bit of a uh, crisis of confidence in relation to nbfcs and on top of it you know to the extent that mutual funds are also lenders uh, to nbfcs uh, from that perspective i think uh, there has been a bit of crisis of confidence that is one part and second of course this has got exaggerated right from march onwards uh, when we announced this lockdown and these nbfcs were a bit in the spotlight because uh, as you are aware on the asset side where they have lent to customers there there is a moratorium but on the other side as far as their liability side is concerned there is no moratorium because they have to definitely repay uh, the lenders from whom they have got their uh, liabilities yeah and uh, plus of course during the lockdown what you see is that inter in the you know bond market uh, liquidity has kind of gone down quite and uh, whatever whatever i termed as crisis of confidence that has become slightly more severe so this is the technical part to explain actually what is happening but for a retail investor who is invested in an ultra short term bond fund or you know even yeah. on maturity on the lower side he is yeah. investing on the basis of either he knowing what he is doing or his advisor telling him that this is a good alternative to your bank fds or your savings bank account you can put in sure. money anytime you can withdraw anytime and chances yeah. are you will make a little bit more than what you are normally making in the bank that is how yeah. most debt funds are sold yeah. and that's the way it is right how do you explain yeah. that to an investor when you know he had kept money for 3 months and now he is told that you may get it in installments ranging from probably a few months to maybe even a year plus how do you handhold a customer like that right so you know i think uh, uh, my sense is that you know at least as far as the ultra short term fund is concerned Uh, the money would in fact uh, you know it depends on the underlying maturities and what i hear about the communication from the asset management company is that uh, as, as the interest flow interest rate flows coupon flows as well as the uh, maturities come through uh, the money would be returned now ultra short term funds specifically they have an outer limit to what maturity of paper one can hold and from that perspective i think in that case up to one year uh, the money should uh, actually come back but i think coming to your question about uh, you know this products lot of these fixed income products are offered as better alternatives to fixed deposits 
So there, I think, a couple of things will need to be kept in mind. One is, where is it that an open-ended mutual fund will be able to generate more than a bank fixed deposit? There are only two ways in this. One is that, as far as bank deposits are concerned, if you place deposit for three months, you get the three-month rate. Correct. But if you put money in an open-ended mutual fund, uh, you know, you have invested for three months, but the mutual fund might be running maturities of six months or one year or sometimes even longer. So you are basically investing for three months with a T plus one liquidity, but underlying maturity is longer. So that asset liability mismatch, which is carried by the mutual fund, sometimes that ends up giving higher returns. Yeah. But of course, there is a risk to that. And the second point is that sometimes, you know, banks are obviously high credit institutions. But on the other hand, these mutual funds might buy lower credit. That also might perk up the return. Yeah. So when we are talking about uh, open-ended funds as a substitute for fixed income, uh, fixed deposits, then I think that the awareness about risk arising from asset liability mismatch and the awareness arising out of risk from uh, lower credit, that is something which should be kept in mind. And when people are trying to make these decisions, the least they should see is that if I was putting money in a bank deposit, what credit quality is it? And when I'm buying an ultra short term fund, then what kind of credit quality the fund is holding? I think that much matching should be done. Yeah. Also, uh, clearly, your mutual fund has not been affected by this crisis because you have consciously taken a call that I will not get into debt. We are clearly having experience and our expertise is in equity. So all we have is a, a liquid fund or an ultra short term fund, which is basically to be used for the STP for, uh, things, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, but I think uh, I think I should. But, but truthfully speaking, in 2018, when this ILFS issue did crop up, one of our ultra, we had, like you rightly pointed out, we don't have any debt offerings. We just have a liquid fund and an ultra short term fund. But to be fair, our ultra short term fund had some exposure to ILNFS when which got downgraded and defaulted. So I can't say that, you know, we've had a completely uh, rosy experience all through. But at the same time, other than that particular paper, uh, we never had any other exposure, which was a conscious call because we were always running uh, these portfolios very clearly that we are an equity house. There is enough risk which is being taken in equity. So fixed income is not meant for uh, taking any form of risk. So barring that particular instance in 2018, uh, through and through our liquid fund and ultra short term funds, through and through has had only uh, treasury bills and uh, the overnight CBLO uh, exposure. Uh, so we never had any credit exposure and we have never even taken any long duration papers. So, uh, which also comes, takes us to logically to the next part. You yeah. are clearly positioning yourself as equity fund managers and that too focused equity fund managers. All your schemes are called focus equity funds. You know, you have a focus 25, a focus 30 yeah. and a focus 35. So you have yeah. clearly taken a decision that there is only an X number of stocks, 20, 30, 40, which I will track. And yes. out of that, I will bring out winners or which I think follow your QGLP philosophy. So just two, yes. three minutes on your QGLP. See, basically our understanding is that, uh, you know, we don't want to keep buying and selling stocks unless and until, you know, the market's circumstances force us. You know, sometimes what happens, markets are very choppy. There is a lot of news flow and there are a lot of macro events. Like last one, one and a half year in that perspective has been challenging. But if you leave such exceptional circumstances aside, generally we don't want to trade. And we want to have, we want to ensure that we participate in the entire growth trajectory of any company. Now, 
because you know trading or buying and selling are all probabilistic decisions and if you take too many decisions the probability starts going against you so we don't want to take too many in and out kind of decisions we would generally like to hold on to stocks for a, a longer period so and ultimately what happens is that money is made as far as growth of a company is concerned there are two dimensions to it there is a vertical dimension to it which is the rate at which a company is growing its eps and the horizontal dimension is the length of that growth or the sustainability of that growth so if you see this qg and l basically it is only about uh, two things it is about buying high quality companies which are actually having beyond a certain threshold of rate of growth and most importantly it's not just about the rate of growth it is about the length of sustainability of that growth because if we buy companies which are growing and which have the ingredients to sustain that growth that means we'll be able to ride the curve with them and we will not be forced to keep buying and selling so you know that's why if you see generally our holding for a stock ranges from anywhere between 3 years to about 6 to 7 years and my sense is that that is something you know it does bring about short term underperformance at some points in time because if people are more agile if people churn more maybe they in the near term they can do better by playing the markets but uh, on the other hand if we hold on to stocks for a long period like 5 years 7 years eventually uh, we stand to gain and we participate in the entire uh, uh, growth trajectory rather than trading in and out so that logically also uh, comes to the next question which follows is now because you have clearly differentiated yourself that this is what i am looking for invariably you are buying stocks which are you know quote unquote expensive or sure. overpriced and right. during corrections like these what we have seen and this is not normal all of us agree on that that you know normally yeah. do not normally see 38 40% falls in a month but sure. then these stocks also fall a lot you know i mean we yeah. all know you have holdings which have fallen by 30 40 50% also yes so doesn't that take away from the fact that it is possible that when you are looking for quality you also have to be ready for huge drawdowns sure so i'll explain a couple of things it's like this you know uh, slightly long drawn explanation but uh, let me make it extremely simple see first is i a lot of times you know uh, when you say high pe some people say quality some people say growth and then the other side sometimes is said to be value or you know any other nomenclature yeah so I always tell people that the stock doesn't know what you are calling it <laughs> right <laughs> the stock is going to do its own thing stock doesn't know what you are calling it but i want to give you a very very simple example to explain to you ultimately why people are buying stocks people are buying stocks for the growth of earnings and the sustainability of the growth and for that just look at it this way if you put money in the bank and the bank has a rate of interest of 8% Let's say it's a five-year deposit, so you put it for hundred bucks right now. At the end of five years, you will get the hundred back. And if the deposit rate is eight percent, then every year you will get eight, 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 and eight. Correct. So in the oversimplified manner, I can say that in the bank, for getting eight rupees of cash flow, I paid the bank hundred rupees, which means P multiple of the bank deposit is approximately twelve point five. Correct. For every one rupee of cash flow, I am paying the bank twelve point five. Yeah. Now in the stock market, the P multiple is twenty times. So why should I buy equity? I should only buy deposits. Yeah. The simple answer is that when you put money in equity, if you buy the kind of companies that I am talking about, then the one rupee will not up for for getting one rupee. You are paying twenty right now, 
But if you bought the right set of companies, the one rupee will not remain one rupee. It should be one, then one twenty, then one forty-four, then one seventy, then two twenty, so on and so forth. Yeah. So in a deposit at the end of five years, you will get five rupees. In a good company or a good set of equities or a good portfolio, you will not get five rupees. You should get more like nine or ten rupees. Yeah. So you may call it value, you may call it growth. Ultimately, when you are buying equity, you are investing in a business, and that business should give you some payback. Now the point is that whichever way you are calling it. the calculation clearly shows that the company has to deliver value so it has to have earnings and ultimately that earnings has to have a potential for growth yeah. that is what we are paying for when we are buying equity yeah now what happens is that there is a particular stock where you think that the eps will grow at 10% for the next 3 years and beyond that you are not sure yeah and my uh, my analysis tells me that no sir it will grow at 15% for the next 3 years and beyond that also it will continue to grow at a 10% for 2 3 years more yeah so what you will find expensive i will find it cheap right yeah so the question is that if my hypothesis of growth is superior to what the market is factoring and my length of holding is longer than the average guy on the street then what he is saying expensive i might find it attractive yeah so p multiples are not the be all and end all that's how i would put it I think what is our investment hypothesis and what is our holding period that also should be kept in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, and uh, as far as calculation is well taken. What has happened this time is yeah. that uh, you know what is held by foreigners, uh, what is done very well in the last couple of years, those are the things which have fallen more. Yeah. It doesn't mean that so-called cheap stocks have fallen less. Mm. Uh, ultimately, everything has fallen equally. Yes. So uh, the fact that we are talking about PEs and EPS. I just want to ask this question, and probably uh, your research team or the people who are actually managing may be able to answer it better. But since you also, you know, explained it so well, what has happened again in the last one one and a half month is unprecedented. You know, all factories shut, all production shut. There is yeah. no uh, output from factories. There is no income coming into those companies. The, sure. All the explanation of the PE, the E has gone yes. for a toss. Nobody knows what happens to the E. The denominator is now, you know, uh, unmanageable, unthinkable. You don't even know what value to give it. Sure. If that happens, then what happens to the result? The P upon E, the P damage we have seen. Yeah. Yeah. What happens to the E? Because that you cannot define how bad it is going to be, right? Yeah. So you know what happens, uh, Deepak ji, is that when we are talking about. calculating or hypothesizing about the future value of a company you know obviously we are doing this kind of discounted cash flow models where you know we are uh, trying to figure out that what kind of earnings is going to materialize uh, over the next one year two year three years four years and lot of times when we do this calculation everybody knows that bulk of the value of any company is related to its future earnings power yes now when there is one quarter of disruption or there is one year of eps which is going to have some uh, destruction then how much the value should be brought down or how much the value should be discounted that is what people need to really really think about that's mm. the first point yeah second point is that different sectors will have different impacts there are many sectors where the demand gets destroyed but there are many sectors where the demand is merely postponed mm. and as a equity investor now it's up to you to see that you know has the market already compensated for that loss or has the market overdone it or has the market underdone it yeah. broadly speaking if you ask me 
we should imagine that FY21 earnings is killed. There is no EPS growth. On an aggregate basis, one should imagine that let's say there is no EPS growth uh, for the year. Yeah. Now, if there is no EPS growth for the year, and you still uh, on the old EPS numbers only, if you say that there should be a 20 times multiple, mm. then still your Nifty should come down to come to about 10,000 or probably higher, mm. little bit higher than that. Yeah. Right. So I think uh, nobody is investing in equity for the next six months to 12 months. Mm. And secondly, I think when market has damaged a lot of prices by 40-50%, we have to see how much is factored and how much is yet to go. Yeah. But uh, if we look at all this couple of years down the line, we'll definitely look back and think that it was probably overdone. Yeah, so it was probably an opportunity for all those who are still waiting in cash. But that we will always come to know in hindsight, yeah. So, you have also uh, clearly your AMC, your communication, when Ramdev is also talking, they clearly say that our money is always invested in our funds. We are invested in the same portfolios we are offering to all the other investors. So, yeah. I often get to hear this argument. So, let's say there is a Motilal Oswal uh, 25 fund. And mm -hmm. I know it yeah. is having 20 stocks in it. And clearly, mm -hmm. there is no churn. Why don't yeah. I simply copy those 20 stocks? I buy those stocks in that proportion. And why do I even pay that 2% to that manager? Because that portfolio is clearly available to me. Why can't I do it myself? What would you say to that? No, so, you know, uh, I put it this way, that when we say that we have no churn or low churn, let me put it this way, that, you know, there are a lot of publications which actually uh, print and cal calculate and print or collate the churn ratios of uh, mutual funds across the board. What I have seen is that there are many mutual funds on an average which have uh, one-time or 100% turnover in a year. Yeah. In our case, what happens is that it's not practically zero, but it may be 20%, 15%, 30% in that vicinity. Yeah. Definitely will be less than one-third of the churn of a, a normal mutual fund. So what this translates into is that out of those 20 stocks, definitely there are uh, two, a couple of them which are new or exited in a year. Yeah. And definitely there are a couple of them which will have some increase in weightage or uh, reduction in weightage which we are doing. Yeah. So it's not totally passive, uh, but definitely it is very low churn compared to industry. That's one point to keep in mind. And second, more important point is even if you copy my portfolio, uh, you will always be second guessing my action. Yes. Rightly or wrongly, what will happen is, let us say there is a stock which has gone up and uh, even at a higher price, we are buying. Yeah. So you might think this guy has gone mad. He will not do what I'm doing. <laughs> there is a stock which has fallen. Yeah. And I think that, okay, you know, forget the price, but maybe I have done something. I have gone wrong in my hypothesis. Yeah. So forget the price. Let me still get out. Yeah. Or there are times where, you know, we may keep on holding to a stock. No buying, selling, but we are just holding on in spite, in spite of nothing happening. But you see some negative news articles. Yeah. So there are practical examples. See, like last two years, uh, we are holding on to auto. I mean, it is giving a bloody nose, but we are still holding on to auto stocks. So a lot of people, the amount of bad news that has come through, a lot of people might actually just get out because they'll be second-guessing our uh, decision-making. Yes. So I think the fund manager is the right person to do the job. That's his job. Let him do the fund management. Let us not try and second-guess him what he is doing. You can copy him but you can't second guess him. That is right. Okay. So, uh, I also remember in the uh, really initial phases when Motilal Oswal AMC was just, you know, 
just launched and just uh, finding yeah. its feet, as if you want to say. Initially, yeah. there were a lot of ETF offerings from uh, Motilal Oswal AMC, right in the beginning. Yes. Yes. Then we moved it to this uh, QGLP focused uh, fund sort of thing where we said there is no point in buying the index. If you buy the index, you will get index returns. If you want yeah. alpha, you have to be active. You have to give money to an active fund manager. And we have kept our strategy as a focus strategy. Sure. We are also now uh, again back to a point where passive investing slash index investing is also becoming fashionable, if you would like to call that. So yeah. one thing you also successfully came out with a S&P uh, ETF just now, and that was done digitally. So without, you know, any physical transaction, this NFO was launched and it was, yeah. I believe, quite successful. Yes, what yes, is yes. what is your view as the CEO? I know as a CEO, mm. as, as, a, as a mutual fund, you are giving mm. offerings to people. It is their mm. duty to decide what is right for them. Sure. But yeah. have ETFs finally or index investing arrived in India? And the next logical question, mm. why in, international? And they say, why not international? Sure. So I think that uh, as far as index investing is concerned, you know, whenever the discussion comes up, it definitely gets into a lot of debates about, you know, these index funds are being offered because now we will not have alpha. Mutual funds are not able to outperform, etc. Yeah. And I have always believed that that is actually the, uh, you know, that's a no-brainer really. That argument is futile. Because I know that you as an advisor, investors themselves, everybody is very, very smart. We know that if there is no alpha and if we don't generate outperformance, we know that nobody will give us money. Yes. So alpha is there, not there, hair splitting on the data. I think those arguments or those discussions are futile. But beyond alpha, I find that there are many reasons why passive investing or index is still a good proposition to offer to clients. And there are two or three important reasons for this. First and foremost is that... Maximum number of investors today, they come on to uh, acquaintance with mutual funds. First time is straight on digital. And the ability to pick and choose. You know, see, on digital, there could be one propensity. You can do a descending sort on numbers and buy the best performance. Yeah. And we know that winners rotate. Yes. Plus, whatever discussion we did on QGLB and what I think about markets, etc., very difficult to get through on a digital medium. Uh, because there are no face-to-face meetings and, you know, everybody has to read all these things or listen to your podcast, basically. But still, I think that on digital, simplicity becomes very important. Ease of access, simplicity, ease of decision-making are important. And that's where I always tell people, if you don't know what to buy, you buy the market. Yeah. So that's where index funds becomes uh, a good uh, proposition to bring in simplicity and ease of decision-making on a digital-first kind of audience. That is first. Second is if you actually see irrespective of alpha or no alpha, a lot of people over a period of time do understand that uh, bulk of the return comes from the right asset allocation, being in the right asset class at the right time. Mm. So if you want a very, very high fidelity uh, asset allocation, then I think uh, buying indices and, you know, say gold, fixed income, domestic equity, international equity, if you have all these indices and if you make the appropriate uh, risk return calculations, then you can formulate your own asset allocation. And anyway, advisory practice is something which is gaining uh, speed over a period of time. So that's another reason why I think that, you know, uh, index as a concept uh, would gain uh, 
some kind of uh, attraction. And last thing to keep in mind, really, if you ask me, is that you know uh, when people are actually buying the index, at least a lot of this debate and discussion, you know, the uh, debate and discussion becomes about their asset allocation and why they have bought the asset class, rather than you know uh, which fund manager is saying what, uh, what will happen now, what is view on market, uh, you know, blaming uh, advisors, blaming fund managers. I think all of that goes outside the window. You bought an asset class because you uh, thought that this is appropriate for your asset allocation. So that's what the discussion is then. A little bit of explanation on why it's important to have international diversification. I know you've explained it on Twitter, but for all the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, see, international diversification is important for three reasons. First is that if you want access to certain companies, you know, it's like this, you know, if you are a, a global investor and you want to buy a stock of uh, uh, theoretically, say, now, uh, what is the hot stock? Say, Ipka Laboratories, which is the, suddenly became famous because of, uh, you know, absolutely in the limelight because of that HCQ-related yeah. uh, news item. Yeah. Now, you have to buy it on NSE or BSE because that's where it is listed. So, same way as an Indian investor, uh, if you want to actually uh, buy, say, uh, the Starbucks and the Amazon uh, of the world, then they are listed in uh, US, so that's where you have to buy it. Uh, so my sense is that if you know one of the reasons is basically very simple that if certain companies which are listed in uh, they are global companies, truly global companies, uh, but they are not listed here. So you have to go and buy them where they are listed. There's no choice out there. And uh, for example, this S and P 500 that we did, 57% of the sales is US, but 43 is outside US. So they are truly global companies, but you have to invest in U.S. market because that's when they're listed. Second important thing is that, you know, currency diversification is all. If you actually see, uh, you know, when you do Indian equity and say, for example, global equity, you can do proper arithmetical calculations and you can figure out that what combination of Indian equity with global equity is going to result in a reduction of risk or reduction of volatility without reducing the uh, returns. So it's a good way to diversify, uh, you know, buying uh, low correlation or no correlation kind of combinations, which will give you reasonable return, but it will reduce the volatility. So this S&P 500 of yours is actually buying the index over there or is it buying a fund? No, no, we are directly buying the uh, stocks as they are in the proportion. Oh, you are actually buying those stocks in that proportion. Oh, yes. Oh, wouldn't it have been easy just to buy an index which is listed over there or an ETF? I mean, just... It would reduce the flexibility in the sense that uh, the costs, you know, uh, because there are certain limits on uh, uh, costs. So if we are buying an underlying fund, that fund itself might end up charging us uh, 20 basis points or some such number, you know, because ultimately if we are starting from here, let's say we deploy 100 crores. It's not like we will be their largest customer. Yeah, obviously. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, we would end up buying some fund and it, that would have its own cost. On the other hand, what we realized was that if you have our own custody and broking arrangements, it's not that expensive or that difficult uh, to directly create the fund ourselves. And of course, there is an index provider, which is SNP, with whom we have a proper legal agreement whereby we are paying them royalties. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, okay. Which also then leads us to the next question. Is it possible to have 
a boutique sort of a stocks out of the snp going ahead maybe you know maybe one year maybe even two years later just like you are doing with indian equity focused uh, equity yeah, yeah how yeah. about doing it for the snp yeah sir uh, i mean we don't have the capability frankly uh, we don't claim to have the capability to uh, manage a portfolio actively uh, in uh, us so no plan right now that i mean uh, I, I, we have no such plan right now because we don't have that capability. Mm. Maybe at some point in time in the future, if we are able to deploy QGLP in the US market, <laughs> then that's a different story yeah, altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, as uh, I think uh, the last question uh, before we end is: Does Motilal Oswal, as AMC, not not you, but as an AMC, have a view going ahead for the Indian markets? so my sense is that uh, from now till july august i would not uh, really bet on direction uh, two or three things one one thing you uh, and uh, let me just clarify that first why i said that uh, not betting on uh, direction till july august is because right now you know this uh, say six weeks of lockdown or whatever one quarter disruption which is going to be there it's all conjecture we don't know anything unless and until we know how the sales numbers and corporate performance pans out for this particular quarter yeah and you know what are the pronouncements when they are out of this quarter what pronouncements they are actually making yeah so and that we will know only in july or august uh, when the results come out or you know when we have some data coming through and also you know once the lockdown is slowly slowly lifted and the activity starts then we will know what are the uh, different uh, connections which are broken and you know what all has actually happened because nobody knows what happens when an economy stops and then restarts yeah. so we don't know anything this has that. never happened before right. yeah 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 so all bets are off from that perspective yeah from time to time what happens is you know look when 23rd march we went down to 7600 that was a massive fall yeah and uh, at that time uh, at that time one felt that oh 40% cut is a bit too much but from that level now we are already more than 20 22% we have bounce back yeah. and i am not going to take this particular uh, bounce back for granted hmm. i won't be surprised if there are further corrections uh, along the way yeah. uh, so i think next 3 to 6 months is very very difficult to call uh, on the other hand uh, you know what gives comfort is that a lot of stocks are 40 50 60% uh, beaten also yes so risk reward uh, will definitely be in favor of investors but i am not telling anybody to jump in uh, and you know just do any lump sum purchases etc i have been telling people that you know you stagger from now till uh, august or uh, september uh, that's how i would put it yeah which also means that clearly if you are a long term investor and let's say your goals were 5 years away whatever yeah. happening whatever is going on now should not yeah. matter to you you should not take any decision based on what's happening now if your goal is 5 plus 7 years away if you are yeah, yeah the time to do something i mean in hindsight the time to do something was only in february yeah yeah but as far as february is concerned uh, you know i don't think that everybody was very very clear see the way this thing always spreads is that europe and us is the epicenter of global investing the yes. panic always starts from there yes yeah and there is a proof of what i'm saying that 23rd march before our lockdown started we had 500 cases of covid 19 mm-hmm. and we had practically no casualties yeah but our index was already 40% down yes right yeah. in fact after the lockdown has started 
and after uh, casualties have gone up in fact our index is up by 22 so we are only tracking see so what is happening right now we are tracking all foreign markets yes. in that sense yes and uh, i think when the dust settles then people will realize that the impact in india is not as much as it is in some of the western world because we are a economy of essentials and lot of this western world is a economy of discretion yeah so the spending level of discretionary spend is so high that the impact will be extremely high yeah so uh, uh, my sense is that uh, for couple of months maybe next 3 4 months it's a wait and watch uh, maybe any time the market gets very very attractive if there are further cuts then slowly slowly one should uh, accumulate but one should not take any move uh, for granted Also, do you think that the retail investor in India has finally matured? Yeah, I have no doubt about it. In fact, uh, this time around, the uh, this time around, what has happened is that the uh, panic is much lesser uh, as far as equity is concerned. Clearly, and uh, people are definitely you can see it in the flows uh, that the redemptions haven't really spiked in equities. So, from all those perspective, it's a more measured and mature reaction yeah. i still would forewarn one thing that in my experience uh, what i've seen is that if the market retraces yes let us say when the market starts going up and bulk of the losses are let us say retraced uh, past experience tells me that that is the time when uh, redemptions would start because a lot of people uh, whose 100 rupees become 70 yeah they keep patience yes but when 70 goes back to 95 or 100 yeah then they would like to bail out <laughs> before we sign off uh, i would like to thank you very much ashish for accepting my invite to be here uh, you amongst the four you kalpen and uh, swarup and radhika are these four young ceos who are regularly active on twitter available to everyone who asks for help readily available so thank you for being here thank you for accepting my invite thank you for sharing your thoughts it was a free and frank discussion we clearly did not discuss stocks but investments uh, what the fund house does how it responds to market levels long term investing and we also spoke about international investing thank you ashish for being thank here you. and hope to see you again soon sure thank you for having me all the best thank you ashish